But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. I invite the rest of you to join me in reading the rest of that text, and that would be in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, you can join me looking at Luke 24. Maybe we just gave you a Bible this morning. If you'd raised your hand earlier, or you could look on, on an app or something like that. But we'll be working our way through Luke 24, hearing about what this means, the resurrection of Jesus, that his body isn't there. And we'll invest our time together looking at what happened. Luke is giving the history of it. But he also highlights for us, according to Jesus, not only what Jesus did, but also how that relates in a personal way to people like you and people like me, the people who were there. It's great to think Jesus is raised from the dead. In and of itself, it's great to think Jesus is raised from the dead. But if we only stop there, and Luke 24 doesn't stop there, it's really of no benefit to us. Maybe it's an inspiring story. Um, but it's designed to do something else. It's designed to actually be a personal thing that benefits us. And we'll talk about how it benefits us. We'll do that this morning. I just read the opening verses of Luke 24, the first three verses. If I don't mind saying so myself, I think it was the best sermon introduction I've ever had in my life. An ins a truly inspired sermon introduction. I think I should just do that every week. Just read the passage. It'd be a lot better than my creativity. But I digress. Look with me, if you would, at verse 4. It says, while they, the women, according to chapter 23, were perplexed about this. Behold, two men, we will see these two men prove to be angels. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Verse 5 says, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? That resounding question, just worthy of pause. Why do you see the living among the dead? To interject a little pop culture, the only thing that the angels would say if they were asked in pop culture, cinematography world, we see dead people. No one in this graveyard is alive. Why are you looking for the living in a place where you only see dead people? It's the question. It's the resounding question. Why are these angels here? Only God knows, literally. God knew why they needed to be there. That's then. Look at verse 6. You ready for this? Okay, verse 6. What a great response. Verse 6 says, He is not here, but He has risen. You're in the wrong place. He's alive. Verse 6 goes on to say, look there with me if you would. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. 
This is not something new. This isn't something contrived. This isn't an off-the-cuff response. This is not a plan B. Remember when he was still miles and miles and miles and miles away, days and days and days and days ago, even years ago, remember what he told you. This is, this is part of the plan unfolding. Verse 7 then says that the Son of Man, that's an official title from the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the ultimate deliverer, the Savior, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that's tragic, and be crucified, more tragic, and on the third day rise, not tragic. Remember back when, and, and as a church, we, we've been studying the gospel according to Luke, and so if you're just joining us, you, you came at a great time, but Jesus said this, Jesus has been saying this, just one sample verse would be back in chapter, chapter 9, he said this, and so Jesus said this to these very people who are now looking for him in a graveyard, and so th- there's a disconnect, does not compute, doesn't make sense. It's not rational. Why are you here? Why are you looking for him? Weren't you listening to Jesus? And we know that they really weren't. So then, verse 8 says, And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So they're going to tell them about the, the empty tomb. They're going to tell them about the angelic messengers they're going to tell them about how remember jesus said these things that's what they do then verse 10 says now it was mary magdalene and joanna and mary the mother of james and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them verse 12 but peter the guy we like to make fun of Right? The guy who acts before he thinks. But that could be a virtue. Right? Here we would say, oh, that, this is good. This is virtuous. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Yeah, here's a great time to act before you really think. Right? This is the right thing to do. I don't want to read too much into this because we have to do some speculating, but I will at least note the interesting observation that it wasn't like it was a running culture in the first century. In the first century in the Middle East, you know, he he didn't have his Nike freeze on, okay? He, He didn't have his calorie counter on his wrist. He didn't have his phone app all loaded up and here's another opportunity to burn some calories, Okay, not a running culture. And again, I don't want to say I know this for sure, but historians and commentators talk about for a Middle Eastern man to be running. We're not talking about a Roman soldier battling. We're talking about a Middle Eastern man running. Um, That's what children do. And then they grow up and then they become dignified and they would never do such a thing. Interesting. You throw caution to the wind, right? You look like a fool. You do whatever it takes. If this is really true, I'm running as if I had Nike Freeze on, right? 
By the way, we read Romans chapter 8 earlier. This is a, this is a plug for Nike today, I guess. Uh, we should get some royalties. Or maybe they'll sue us, I don't know. <laughs> we, we read in Romans chapter 8, and it says that in Christ, because He's the resurrected, crucified, resurrected one, that we are more than conquerors. We are hupernikes. Nike means conquer. It means win. We are, we are super winners. We are super Nike heirs. How about it? It doesn't use the word heir, but you get the idea. We're victors for sure because Christ is victorious for sure. That's for free. I didn't even write that down. I mean, that is like, you guys are getting cream of the crop stuff today. I'm sure of it. But it's exciting. It's exciting for Peter. It's glorious for Peter. Verse 13 then says, we're transitioning some now. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. You can probably picture it in your mind. You can probably picture it better if you've been there or you've seen documentaries. So they're on their way to a place called Emmaus. Oh, and by the way, why is he giving people's names? Well, why is he giving township names? Why is he giving specifics? It's because he's describing history. Remember that, especially when we read Luke. Luke, according to chapter 1, is giving a detailed account for some kind of extraordinary person, some kind of dignitary, most excellent, he describes him, most excellent Theophilus. I'm going to give you a detailed account of what happened. It's important for us that, that we realize that, not just because we're trying to be academic and understanding these things. It's important that we think about these things and we can appreciate that. Guess why? Because we're living in history. He's not describing fantasy world. He's describing things that happened on our soil. And that's really important because we're on our soil. We have real needs, not fantasy needs. Jesus came to meet real needs for real people. We really need this to be history. And Luke wants to make sure that he's describing the details of history. So, as I was saying, before someone interrupted me, I think it was the voice in my head. They're going to they're going to Emmaus, okay? Because no doubt they were in Jerusalem along with another bazillion people, right? For for the holy holiday, they're they're there for Passover, they're there for celebration, and and teams of people, uh, and not as in athletic teams, teams teaming all kinds of people would come to the capital city and it's extraordinary and it's special and it's festive so they were all coming and now they're leaving and so here are some who were going back to Emmaus back to their homes all kinds of people would be on the road and so they're amongst the the all kinds of people the many people it's time to leave and and then in verse 14 and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened so it's a long walk to Emmaus so we're talking about everything that happened verse 15 then says while they were talking and discussing together Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him why we don't know 
verse 17. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? In other words, something along the lines of, Do you mind if I join you? Right? What are you, what are you guys talking about? Not a lonesome road with nobody on it, all kinds of people. Jesus interjects. And they stood still looking sad. Verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas, so it's not one of the eleven, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What? Are you, were you under some kind of rock? Oh. Where have you been? This doesn't even make sense. That's also important, by the way, to remind us it was a public thing. Okay, Jesus wasn't crucified somehow in someone's vision or dream. He wasn't crucified in some back room that no one knew about and somehow somebody made this whole thing up. This is public knowledge, and Luke wants to make sure that he's writing and recording enough here. This event happens so we know it's public knowledge. Okay? He was crucified. There's, there are no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Now, we've got to talk about what it means, and they don't even really know what it means, but let's make sure we understand that when we're talking about biblical Christianity, we're not talking about something that happened in someone's own little dream world land. It's totally a different kind of religion history, time and space. He's a public figure to be seen by everyone. It's important that we know those things. Verse 19. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. True? It's true. Mighty indeed. True? True. And word before God and all the people, true. Yeah, that's true. Verse 20, and how our chief priests, notice they're, they're even, they're theirs, they're Jewish people. And how our chief priests and, and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. This is terrible. You don't do that to a prophet of God. Never mind the fact that it's happened again and again and again to the prophets of God. It's awful what happened. He, when he taught, he taught like no one else. Remember Matthew chapter 7? He, he, he just did these amazing things. And they killed him. They crucified him. Surely you know about that. Then verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, to set free Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things since these things happen and we might be tempted to kind of read that wrongly and think yes the third day but they're not thinking that that way they're thinking and and by now it's the third day there's no chance he's good and dead a little bit of irony there yeah it's the third day hello you know you're like it's good they don't know Hopes and dreams are dashed. Verse 22 says, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had 
even seen a vision of angels. They didn't say that, by the way. They said they saw angels, but never mind. Who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out that there are all kinds of evidences and they're drawing all the wrong conclusions. And who's drawing wrong conclusions? Uh, the leaders and those who surround the leaders. I'll tell you what, if I were going to start a religion and write a book, I wouldn't include this stuff. Right? A bunch of dimwits are about ready to officially be the leaders of Christianity. And you go, man, this isn't good at all. They all look pretty, pretty pathetic. They all look pretty dumb. They all look pretty idiotic, except for Jesus. But again, Luke is writing history. It's pretty amazing if you read the Bible. You read the Bible and you go, sheesh. Even the best at times are bumbling idiots, right? Even the major players, you kind of go, oh my, we probably shouldn't talk about that one in Sunday school, right? Telling the truth. Telling the truth about a non-human-made religion. Who in the world would invent a religion that basically says people are, what should I say without, this Easter, you know, um, not so bright. <laughs> Who's going to do this? Everyone is a failure. Cosmically so. You know. You go. Everyone's best life now is a train wreck. You know? It's horrible. And there's only one who can solve it. And he's not one of us. He has to come from the outside. That's how bad off we are. Even the leaders. I love that. That's why in Christianity we say the glory belongs to Christ. Verse 25. And he said to them, You foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You guys are Bible memorizers. You're so foolish. This is what the prophets have been talking about. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Prophets talk about these things. Wasn't it necessary even according to the book that you say you believe and you memorize? I mean, that's how slow we are on the uptake. The answer is, yeah, you, you should know this by now. It's, it's obvious by now, whether you're talking about Psalm 118 or Isaiah 53 or Psalm 31 or Psalm 69. I mean, this isn't new that the, the righteous one would suffer. The ultimate righteous one would suffer. This isn't new. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses. So Jesus begins with Moses and all the prophets. He, he's just, he, 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 if you don't know what that means, he's, he's, he's talking about the Old Testament. The books of Moses. 
the prophets. Let's keep going. And all the prophets, he interpreted to them. He explained them. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That would have been a pretty good Bible study, right? Now, when we read that, just with a little um, poking fun at the way we talk sometimes, and it says, and I'm going to seek to do that to make the point, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Here's what I kind of like to say to Jesus. Yeah, but that's your interpretation. (laughs) It'd be like the one right time, you know? It's like... Yeah, it is my interpretation. (laughs) It's awesome. The authoritative interpretation. I love it. He explains the meaning. And he explains the meaning in such a way that it actually centers around him. If Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, by the way, this is terrible. This is a total foul. but I don't think it's very terrible at all. If you want to know the interpretation, Jesus has it right here. And the interpretation of Moses and the prophets is actually centered around Jesus. Hmm. By the way, let me ask you, what's the Old Testament all about? Is the Old Testament about the law? Is the Old Testament about God's faithfulness? Is the Old Testament about human sin? Yeah. Is the Old Testament about God's mercy? Yeah. Is the Old Testament about God's judgment? Yeah. Is the Old Testament about human, I already talked about sin, um, God's patience? Yeah. The list goes on and on and on and on. The Old Testament's about a lot of things. And yet according to the divine interpretation, according to the right interpretation, somehow it all centers ultimately on the person of Jesus. Sure, we might want to say in anticipation, right? We might want to be fancy and say uh, typologically. How about that for a big word? Because the ultimate antitype is Christ. All these pictures, all of these previews, all of these prophecies. But ultimately, it finds its culminating fulfillment reality, not a picture anymore, in Christ. Jesus is saying that. Its intent, its interpretation is concerning Jesus. How about this for a helpful statement? Through direct prophecies, through types and shadows, through a meta-narrative, the big picture, and in anticipation, the Old Testament is Christocentric. Doesn't mean you see Jesus, you know, under every rock and, you know, this symbolizes this and this symbolizes that and the Bible's an allegory. It's not an allegory. But it's headed somewhere. John chapter 5, Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. Wow. That's John 5, verses 46 and 47. Well, probably enough about that. There's more in the notes, but, you know, 
The ham is probably about done, so I better hurry up. Maybe one more thing. The ham can wait. Just one more thing. Sometimes we forget that Jesus said these things. Let's not forget that Jesus said these things. Christianity isn't a plan B where God went, oh no. No. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1 says, it was planned to have Christ be at the center of everything. And the last time I checked, before the foundation of the world is before Genesis. So as all of that is unfolding from Genesis through the end of the Old Testament, the God who had a plan before that started, no doubt is unfolding a plan that's going to center around Christ. Sometimes people, even Christians, I've been guilty of this before, we pride ourselves in not reading, in reading the Old Testament and ignoring Jesus. probably not very very wise. Second Corinthians chapter 3 would have us to know that that's like reading the Bible as an unbeliever with a veil over your eyes. If you don't read the old covenant in light of the new covenant in light of Second Corinthians chapter 3, you're like an unbeliever you're reading the Bible like an unbeliever with a veil over your eyes. Let's keep that in mind. Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. He went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Wonder if there's any sound. I don't know. Spielberg, Spielberg would do it that way. I don't know. He's just gone. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Yeah, when Jesus is explaining the Old Testament in light of who he is, it makes your heart burn in a good way. Our hearts are burning within us as he talked to us on the road. The Bible was making sense for the first time even, we might say, while he opened to us the scriptures. 33, and they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, just a moment ago, they were saying, it's too late, we've got to stop. There's no way you could keep going. But because of something extraordinary that happens, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. So that's where they're headed. Let's keep going. Verse 33 goes on to say, And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. One of Peter's other names. 35. And they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And they were talking about these things. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, I wrote in my margin, the crucified one. Right? Remember, that's what just happened. And Jesus himself, the crucified one, stood among them. Does not compute. Something's extraordinary. Something's 
out of the ordinary, the crucified one stood. And he stood among them, not in their fantasy dreams, and said to them, Shalom, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Notice the physicality. Notice the reality. Notice the historicity. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, I love love that statement, and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Why do we need to know it's broiled fish? Because Luke's writing history and apparently it's a detail that was supposed to be there. Okay, Uh, It was broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Ever so quickly, why is this happening? To show it's real. Okay? This didn't happen in anybody's heart. Okay? This is what happened. And so again, in all these different ways, it's meant to show that this happened. Okay? Bodily resurrection. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, if we didn't get it clear in our heads before, we should get it clear in our heads now. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, i.e. Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Huge statement about supremacy. Okay, huge statement that I really am the king. I really am the one. It, it, it was all about me. I truly am the one. Genuinely so. And it's been under your noses, though there's been a veil all along that this is how it's supposed to be. And verse 45 says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He took that veil off and said to them, Thus it is written, That the Christ, that's the Messiah, the Son of Man, the ultimate deliverer coming King, the anointed one, okay? That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Psalm 22, 31, 69, 118, Isaiah 53. I'm just going to give a sampling. Verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. We're almost done, but let's for sure stop there and talk about application. Here's where we need to talk about how it can benefit you. Who's, who's this intended for? How does it become personal? Historic act, bodily resurrection, before witnesses. There are going to be more witnesses. But it doesn't benefit you just because. It's like my dad used to say to me, You're not going to, your homework's not going to get done by osmosis. Okay? I wished it would have. I like to put my head on the books, take a little nap. 
It's not going to get done by osmosis. It doesn't just sort of happen and somehow this is wonderful and great for everybody just because you happen to be a person. No, Jesus says, you're going to proclaim this message to who? In our text, we know who he's going to proclaim it to, who they're going to proclaim it to. Oh, they're going to begin in Jerusalem, but it's to all nations. Uh, all ethnicities. All ethnos. This is for people who are Jewish, but this is for people who aren't Jewish. This is for people who live in Egypt. This is for people who live in Asia. This is people for people who live in Rome. This is for people who live wherever they live. It's not so much about locale anyway, it's about ethnos. All different religious backgrounds, all different languages, because they're all sinners. Okay? We still aren't to the application side yet. Notice what he says. In verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Repentance. Ah! Repentance. That's, that's personal. It's the kind of personal sometimes we don't like. But I, I can stand here with a smile on my face and say, do you want to know how you can benefit from Jesus' resurrection so that you can be promised and guaranteed resurrection for yourself? Through repentance. You need to repent. Now, I could say this wrong-spirited. I could say it the wrong way. But maybe to make the point, I would say, the message of Easter is Repent. How about that? We should put on a billboard. Come to Omaha Bible Church. But it is true, the message of Easter is the message of Jesus resurrected from the dead and the way you can gain personal benefit is by repenting. You've got to repent. There's no forgiveness apart from repentance. What is repentance? Literally, the word repent in the Greek New Testament, means to change your mind. You have to change your mind. Change your mind about what? Maybe better yet, change your mind about who? You have to change your mind about who Jesus is. That he's not just, as these guys were even saying, a great prophet, a great teacher before God and men. No, you have to change your mind about who Jesus is. He truly, genuinely is the one the Old Testament talked about and who came and suffered, was crucified, and was raised on the third day so that people who repent would be forgiven and God wouldn't be against them anymore. That's it. Sometimes the Bible uses belief in place of repentance. They're complementary ideas. Because you have to know who Jesus is and see him for who he really is to trust in him, to believe in him. Sometimes Christians have made a mistake here and they've said repentance is you change your life. Oh, really? You change your life and then God accepts you? Uh, that's not what Christianity teaches. That happens as a result. John the Baptist talked about having fruit keeping with repentance. Your life really should change as a result. But my friends, and those of us who aren't friends, 
You have to repent in order to have the work of Jesus benefit you. You have to see Him for who He is. That also assumes that you repent about yourself, right? You can't see yourself as a good person who doesn't need forgiveness. You have to agree with God and say, God, I I, I need forgiveness here. And that's why I need Jesus. Changes everything. But it doesn't happen by osmosis. The message of Easter is really not a good news message for you apart from repentance. It's a good news message for you if you see Jesus for who He is. And you trust in Him and only in Him. And then everything changes. And then we are hupernikes, super Nikes. Guaranteed resurrection. Guaranteed reconciliation. Guaranteed forgiveness. Good news. The gospel is good news. The good news regarding Jesus Christ. And this is for all people, all ethnos. Not just for middle America. Because all people are the same. Because we're all sinners. Right? So have you been forgiven? You've got to repent regarding Jesus to be forgiven. Finally, verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. We need witnesses of these things. Again, this isn't... He's using that because of, of historicity. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. We're going to learn about that. The Holy Spirit's going to come. But stay in the city, that is Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. We're going to learn about that next time. Next time we're going to learn, next Sunday, we're going to finish our study of the gospel according to Luke, and we're going to learn about something called the ascension. Because Jesus ascends, and Jesus goes to the right hand of his Father, and he goes there and has a ministry, even right now, of what the Bible calls intercession. He is there, he represents us, if we're believers, if we're repenters. He claims us as his own. Here's what's going to happen today when I leave. I'm going to leave before I leave. I'm going to sin. Don't tell anybody, but... Because I'm not going to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm not going to love my neighbor as myself. And that's the perfect good standard. And I'm not going to meet the standard. So I need Jesus to atone for my sins. I need Jesus to be raised from the dead so I can be reconciled to God. I need that. I need to be a repenter and see Him for who He is by God's grace. I also need Jesus to ascend for me and continue to claim me as His own because He's done this work on my behalf because I'm going to continue to fail. And yet the Bible says, as He ascended, He will return and when we see Jesus at His return, we'll be made like Him. And then, when I leave the doors of Omaha Bible Church, but I won't be here, but you get the idea. I won't sin anymore. Because I'll be what the Bible calls glorified. Just trying to whet your appetite for a little bit more, okay? We're going to pray, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which looks forward to His return, because He said, until He comes back, you eat the bread, you drink the wine, until He comes back, why? 
in remembrance of Him because we forget that our standing before God, our forgiveness, our reconciliation, we forget that it's, it, it's, it's not what we do. It's what He's done, okay? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for Easter as an opportunity to proclaim Christ, as an opportunity to be encouraged by the good news of the gospel. Help everyone here to know that um, forgiveness doesn't come by osmosis. That forgiveness doesn't come because we're Americans, because we go to church. Help everyone here to know that forgiveness comes through what Jesus has done. And that we must see Him for who He really is and His work for what it really was. We have to have a fundamental, supernatural, radical change of mind about who Jesus is and rest in Him for who He really is. And now as we eat the bread and, and drink the wine in such a basic fashion, encourage us mightily through the Spirit of Christ. Use your Spirit, please, in our lives in a profound way as we eat and as we drink in this fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.